0: So where are we right now with vaccines? Well, Italy doesn't want Australia to get the vaccines it needs. Europe, for a while, didn't want the UK to get some of the vaccines it was making as well. France didn't want its old people to get a British vaccine, perhaps because they were worried they'd suddenly acquire a taste for Yorkshire pudding. And in the United States, President Biden has now said there's going to be enough vaccines for everyone in the country by the end of May. He didn't actually say that they would be distributed and jabbed in the arms by then. They'll just have enough vaccines ready to go, which is great. But what about the poor countries? Don't we realise until it is wiped out or at least substantially reduced everywhere, it's going to stick around forever. Today, vaccination is a global game on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. So, a rapid rollout of the vaccine in the UK, the largest vaccine programme in history for the UK. Two million or so people every week, over 21 million people so far have had the jab with the aims that all adults were being given it by the end of July. Israel well ahead in terms of jabs per head or jabs per arm, it should really be, but a much smaller population, of course. And Europe falling behind, mainly because they delayed negotiations because they're trying to get a better price. Uh, They're paying half the price that Israel paid for the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine Team, but uh, is this a time to be quibbling over dollars and cents? But, Steve, there is little point in the West vaccinating itself if we leave ourselves open to reinfections or the virus evolving in places where people haven't been vaccinated in other countries. Because as the World Health Organization puts it, nobody wins the race until everyone wins the race.
1: No, not by a long shot. And this and this is the, the classic thing. Uh, a lot of ideology and a lot of colonial politics lies behind the way we treat the third world. Uh, and the virus couldn't give a. Bri- I was going to say a rat's shit. Ass. Couldn't give a shit. Yeah, but I'll say <laughs> I'll say a rat's now. ass instead. Yeah. yeah. There we are. Couldn't give a rat's ass about about our political and colonial systems. It just wants to breed somewhere, uh, and evolve. And um, you, know, the, you know, we talk about the virus as if it's an, it's a living entity. In fact, it's an undead. It has to be inside a human body or a body to reproduce. But of course, because it can reproduce inside a human body and it reproduces inside any, any, um, you know, any being, uh, with the, with a cell structure, um, then the, the pressure we put it under, uh, by our own attempts to suppress it can lead to it evolving in directions that we're not ready for. So mm. the, if you give it a, the whole of, and because it's so transmissible this is the other thing people I think often think in terms of Ebola and Ebola didn't get to Africa so why should we worry about covid um if it, if covid yeah. infects africa that's africa's problem but the thing is if if this stuff can continue you know being transmitted and changing uh in and while it's so transmissible in another uh, region then it will it can come back in a different and more
0: dangerous form well if it comes back and it's as dangerous as Ebola uh, is and um, yet yeah, then we are with with the uh with the, the infection rate it's got then we are all done, done for aren't we basically it's it's uh, it's yeah that no, we don't we,
1: that, that, it's, that, is con- that that's that's the hell
0: cockroaches will rule the earth absolutely let's yeah. hope we don't get to that but i mean the the problem i guess in the third world or in developing nations is that uh, you know they um, whereas we in the west are because we've all got these um Bullshit jobs that allow us to work from home and uh, look at our computer screens and talk to each other about moving money around and all that sort of stuff. In uh, in in developing nations, they don't do that. They're actually at work uh, in the uh, in the factory or in the fields or. Uh, in the streets and they are in contact with each other and they don't often have the option to sit at home and uh, self-isolate because they need money to survive so
1: mind you let's not forget at the moment the third world's doing a damn sight better than the first in terms of managing this virus i'm just looking at the indian data right now i remember Mm. looking at the india's trajectory from april to october from april to august was looking absolutely appalling it went from uh, if you go right back to early April, it was running at about a thousand, like, like actually late, at the end of March, 146 cases at the end of March. That was less, substantially less than the UK and Netherlands at the time with, you know, far smaller populations. It was heading towards 100K and I was thinking it's going to be up to a million at some point. It peaked in September at about 96,000 cases. India has now driven its cases per day down to about 10,000 to 15,000. So. Are they testing as many though? I mean, that was yeah, the, uh... the, the testing. But the thing is, you can't, because, because this is such a virulent virus, um, if, if you, if you're not testing as many and it's still spreading, it will ultimately overwhelm your numbers anyway. And in terms mm. of the number of deaths, for example, like in terms of India's deaths per day, they peaked at 1. 1.2, 1. 1.3 thousand, 1,300 people, um, in, um, September. And they're now down to a hundred a day. So that is let's mm. compare it to the UK right now. The UK yeah. is running at uh, eight hundred a day. So you've got and that's good. You know, you, you know, got, we're we're, we're yeah, celebrating yeah, that
0: exactly. So yeah. so the yeah, third that, I mean, world's
1: doing far better.
0: But it will so still why be, is that then? Because I mean, because you know, the, the scenario I was describing. You imagine it would be very difficult for the for the third world to. Put in place the sorts of measures that we've we've seen in countries like the UK, which you know has been in seems like we've been in lockdown almost every week for the last year, uh, apart from a little brief summer last year. So how come they're doing it so much better? What's 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 different?
1: Well, I think I mean I hate to put a juvenile characterization on it, but it's basically what can happen with a disciplined young child versus a bunch of spoiled brats. I mean the, the the way that the West is behaving. We can't you can't take my liberty away. You, you don't mm. have fantasies about liberty in India to the same degree. Um, so you have if your police direction comes out, you follow the police direction. But not particularly good for your health to ref, to refuse it. And there's more of an and more of an experience in handling massive levels of you know they have cholera outbreaks so you've got to Mm. when when that happens you're told you know, boil the water don't do this don't do that etc etc and there's a realization that you have to follow those rules otherwise there'll be a you'll be overwhelmed by it so that that because you're you're closer to the ground where these things happen than people living in cities like london and the new york are then there's more obedience more more following the public health directives and I'm, I must admit, I'm surprised. I would not have predicted this. It's it's remarkable to see, but India has been far more successful at turning us around um, than, than any of the developed nations. And India only ranks number two to the USA because it's got four times the United States population. Um, hmm. so, and then, then, you know, you look at the ranking right now. I must, I look at this and I find a lot of people mustn't be looking at it for the sort of nonsense comments I'm getting from people in America and the UK right now about, uh, about, uh, COVID policy. The U- USA has currently got roughly 28 million cases. India has 11, Brazil has 10, and the UK has four. Now, the UK is what one sixth the size of Brazil, one twentieth the size of India, one sixth the size of USA. Uh so if you if you even if you factor in even Brazil um on a per capita basis is doing better than the UK, even with, you know, a right wing jerk uh as, as its
0: political leader. Um, so mm, the, no. the third I'm world about, has done... Oh, so you're talking about Brazil there. Though. you talking... Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, same thing applies, yeah. The same thing. Same difference. <laughs> so how do we... But how, obviously, well, and, the, and that's great news, but, uh, but obviously but it's going to hang But they can't around. succeed on the vaccine. This is the point you're no, making. That's okay. exactly. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's going to be that around for as long as... Yeah, uh, yeah, that does take money. So we've got the... So the World Health Organization has, has uh, set up a, a program, the COVID program, which supposedly ensures vaccines reach countries irrespective of their income, they say. And they've got 200 countries that have signed up to it, which is more than 90% of the world's population. Sounds mm. good so far, doesn't it? And they they say they're going to invest and pool their resources to buy up the vaccines, so they'll be available to everyone no matter where they live. So the rich countries can pay as a sort of a self-insurance policy to ensure that they get the vaccines they need, although most of them have done a fairly good job of doing that without uh, the World Health Organization. Uh, so they can be self-financing, as the term they use it in this program. The rest are f- funded by contributions from pu- public and private donors. So where do you uh, where do you see a problem with that? Well, how it's much the money part, is there? the part? It's the part <laughs> it's the part where the rest is funded by contributions from public and private donors. they just so yeah. they have a, a budget this year uh, of uh, six point eight billion dollars. To buy up the vaccines they need, they've secured 1.1 billion doses, which is obviously nowhere near enough. Uh, 6.8 billion dollar budget; they've only got a shortfall of uh, 6.4 bu- uh, billion. Yeah. So, and, and um, we, yeah. I don't know how they fixed that problem. Well, here
1: we here we come back to the sins of the father being visited upon the sons. Um, one of the ideas of Bretton Woods and in, in Keynes's version was to, with by having a, a, a non national currency. As the currents of international trade, the Bancor, and by having, uh, rules to constrain the degree to which surpluses could be run up by countries running surpluses, taxes on them, uh, in, in effect to, uh, to help development, there would have been an enormous fund of Bancor available to pay, uh, for the, you know, the, what was, what the International Monetary Fund was supposed to be, International Clearinghouse, uh, those funds would have been available to pay for a vaccine if we'd got ourselves into this situation in that alternate universe. But because mm-hmm. we haven't, um, you know, this is one case where you simply have to borrow money uh, or, or be given money to buy it because you can't pay for these vaccines, you know, with, uh, with your domestic currency if, if you're not running a trade surplus in the first place. Uh, and you, it, it's, it's a reason to have international uh, aid. And, and to have largesse. Yes, and it's not going to happen. this, this, you know, there's going to be that huge sortfall. So the vaccinations won't get as widespread as they should be in Africa and in India and in Latin America and, and, and the poor parts of Asia. And Thailand will do a very good job. Um, so we're going to have these, the breeding grounds for the, for COVID 19 to give us COVID 22 and COVID 25 and so on. Um, which are existing vaccines will be useless. Yeah, well, potentially. Well, I mean, the, the odds. There, there are some. You, know, it, it, you want to, you want to get a vaccine which is attacks parts of the virus that have to stay the way they are uh, for the virus to exist. And that you know, the parts that target the the spike protein aren't necessarily going to be successful because we're seeing the the most the, the the British version and the South African version change the spike and make it more effective. And one, of the, I know at least one of the virus, one of the vaccines, has been bypassed by that particular piece of evolution. But yeah, it's so, it's it, this has to be treated as a global problem, and that's we don't, we're not set up as a global community.
0: Now, it might not be best in terms of the the local economies, um, but if you look at the way the Chinese have rolled out the the, the Belt and Road Initiative, where they basically um, invest money into uh, infrastructure in overseas countries, and then they employ Chinese workers paid in uh, Chinese yuan to to work in those factories, so that it, uh, you know it's basically uh, can be gen- money that's generated in their own local currency, even though it's applied overseas. Could we do the same sort of thing? Could we say, "Well, okay, let's uh, let's let's build uh, production facilities around the world, and the US will fund some of it, and the UK will fund some of it, uh, and it'll be with money that we've created in our own economies, rather than having to uh, pay money into these." Uh, you just, then it becomes part of our own circulating currency, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if, if you, what you would want to have is. Uh, in building out the facilities to produce vaccines on the scale necessary domestically in each of those countries or regions. I mean, in Africa, mm. you wouldn't want to have every, every country, country in Africa, but in India, you would want to have India having you know, at least one uh, facility to produce its own vaccines. And you, you don't want that to then mean that you know, India's got to go cap in hand to the uh, World Bank for a trade deficit. So, um, it is one of those, one of those things where you want, you want to, you know, in a sense, costlessly give them the technology. Um, you know, I, I, ha- I haven't been I've got a few friends that work in vaccines. I want to talk about that at some point in the next, uh, few, few podcasts, but, uh, I'm, I have no idea what's involved in a, in a vaccine factory. that's the same degree that I have an idea of what's involved in a semiconductor factory, but it's something that lets them build those on scale. On volume, that's necessary. Distribution, most of these countries can cope with it because they have already got their networks for distribution um, it's again, it comes down to the temperature issue. Do you have to freeze this stuff and so on? And that makes it much more complicated.
0: Yeah. Uh, but well, it's. Well, there's only one yeah. really out of, out, you know, it, it's, it's really just the, uh, Pfizer, uh, vaccine, isn't it? The, uh, BioNTech one that's, uh, that needs to be stored at minus 70 degrees. I mean, mm. if you look at the AstraZeneca one and most of the others they're cheaper and they can be stored between 2 and 8 degrees so it's uh, so distribution's obviously a lot easier for that uh, a little less efficient it's, it's that whole efficacy uh, so the bioNTech is 95% uh, uh, efficacy whereas the others are less but it costs $14 per dose if you look at the AstraZeneca it's $5 and it can be yeah stored in much colder cooler temperatures mm. so easier to easier to distribute but if we if if you did say well okay the uk because uh, it would be a lot so if you, even you know at that uh, five dollars you're gonna have two shots so that's ten dollars times you know whatever it is seven billion people around the world it's a lot of money still so uh, the the those those costs if they're paid for by the West, say the UK says, "Well, we're going to pay a chunk of that. We're going, you know, we're going to contribute. Uh, we're going to contribute ten billion, for example, um, out of our own currency. To and that money goes overseas into into f- f- these foreign plants. What happens? To, what impact does that have materially on the UK economy? This is for, to, to explain it to a country that's just cut foreign aid in half because it doesn't want to see money going out of the country."
1: You no, know, it's definitely handing over in some of its own productive capacity to do that because you give somebody UK pounds, effectively you're saying here's a certificate you can use to get stuff from the UK. Um, so normally you do that in exchange for you know, you're, you're buying Indian textiles um, mm. in return for uh, your UK pounds, but here you're saying here are the pounds, we don't want any textiles back. So you're handing over uh, buying capacity against UK production capability uh, on a global market, that, that the money can end up being transferred into other currencies and global, uh, you know, foreign exchanges. I'm, I'm not no um, no illusions about the money being directly used back in the UK again, but you are handing over part of your productive capacity. What what you're saying is, we are sharing our capability to produce these with you using a financial means. Mm.
0: But we, can, but we, we've been in an era where we've been creating money, you know, like it's going out of fashion anyway. So even if we are handing it over, I mean, we we'll still be handing over money. To say well, we want to buy stuff from you, so can we do that too? But um, this is, you know, ha, 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 is this really any different to? Well, I guess it it is very different to to using it to create money for to support people in the UK, because you would hope they those people are going to spend that money in the UK. That's your point, isn't it? Whereas yeah, this, it's not going to be spent domestically; it? it's going to be spent internationally. Yeah. yeah. Mm. so but we should do this, shouldn't we? I mean this is yeah. the only way that, I mean there's no there's no alternative <laughs> other than the fact that we all have to take a uh, some sort of economic hit but if we've but if we are uh, you know in, in countries that have control over our own currencies it's it's not a big issue is it's not as it's it's not as big issue as most people would see that it's it's money spent that we have to pay back yeah, it's an economic That's hit like, well,
1: if you don't take it to pick a much bigger one later. So, like, it would have been feasible, for example, to, to Texans to have uh, insulation, well-insulated houses, but it was cheaper to keep them cool by not insulating them. And then, bang, you get hit by global warming and you freeze to death. Um, so and we're seeing well with unless the, you travel to Mexico we, we, unless you go on holiday to Mexico that's true that does can comes a nice part part of the world this time of year I hear yeah and and again the UK is economised by running down the NHS which has worked really well when you ran out of uh, personal protective equipment mm. during a pandemic so you have to this, this is part of building resilience not efficiency and I think that we're now seeing a huge mistake and believing that efficiency is a form of resilience no it's not it's a form of being um tailored to the current situation, and if you get a drastic change in that situation, then you are toast by being too efficient. You need to have excess
0: capacity everywhere uh, to cope with the unexpected if you 've got an outflow of money though so if Britain pays a, a whole chunk of money even if it 's money that 's created to start funding operations in India and other parts of the world that 's a that 's a big outflow of uh, of money for the pound does that Does that change our Exchange rates? Does it? How does it influence the money markets? To, if you, if we start, well, I think it would. You
1: know, this is when you, I disagree with MMT on the, on this whole the, the way they analyze money. So I think you're going to be increasing a trade deficit, which is, to me, it's a negative for the sustainability of the economy. But it's, a, it's a necessary negative in this situation, uh, because the, the negatives of not doing it could be far worse if the result of not vaccinating. Africa or the poor parts of Asia was a return of a much more virulent virus in two
0: or three years' time. Mm. So we need agreement then because, I mean, what? You, obviously one country, it, it, you're saying it's going to be detrimental to whichever country does this, so it's got to be shared, hasn't it? So the West has got together.
1: Effectively, yeah.
0: But is it harder yeah. for the EU to do it given that they are a, a, a mix of different countries? I mean, I, the, well, it's not harder, is it, except for the fact they've got to agree amongst themselves that they're going to be pardoned. But they've passables.
1: also got the 60% limit on government debt. Mm. Which stops them doing this. I mean, again, there's... That seems
0: to be being ignored at the
1: moment, though, doesn't it? Oh, it's, it's total nonsense. I mean, you look at, I think, I think, I think Greece is now running at 160% of government debt and even even Germany's rising. So, you know, the, the Maastricht Treaty and the Treaty of Lisbon are looking like the total jokes they always were at the moment in, in in the face of two major crises in, in, in one decade, the global financial crisis so, and now COVID. So, but yeah, they're going to be slow getting off to the mark
0: and doing it, definitely. Yeah, but we've got to be quick, and that's the problem, isn't it? So yeah. the World Health Organisation is saying, well, okay, uh, we can secure all these doses and we can do more, but the big problem is funding. We've got this big gap, uh, and that's because they're looking for donations. So what the World Health Organisation should be doing is coordinating contributions as a proportion of GDP from the yeah, or, or some other measures from from the wealthiest nations, uh, and that's what Banko was set up to do. Yeah. The original Banko proposal mm. would have enabled that straight away. Well, we're not going to do that this year, though, are we? So the no. so the only way is for them to actually get some a, a, a bit more determination and and try and drive influence through all of these countries to say, yes, you need to support it. Otherwise, we're stuck with this thing for a generation or more.
1: And now, of course, because that's not going to happen. And well, <laughs> wait, well, kind be depressing. Yeah, but that, that, the, if it doesn't happen, then it means we're going to get too low a level of vaccination in Africa and Asia. And then the question is, what's going to happen with this virus over time? Will, I mean, and then the, and the, and the this, this is one reason that, uh, Yanir Bayam made such a strong call when this is, to those who don't know his name, he's, uh, one of the people who led the, uh, camp, the uh, eradication of Ebola. Uh, in 2014, or the containment of Ebola. And he said, you've got to go for eradication. It's got to be a global thing. So this whole idea of saving the economy by, uh, you know, going light on this virus is just giving it time to come back and hit us at a later stage. And we, we may see another wave of this particular virus in, you know, with, with evolutionary uh, overloads
0: in the next two or three Years. Well, are we going to go? D-
1: we won't, But yeah. yeah,
0: are we going to go down the road in that case of uh, we maybe saying we're not going to do it now? But are we going to go down the road of vaccine passports? Are we going to say, well, okay, you can't come into this country uh, unless you've shown us the, the demonstrated to us that you've actually been vaccinated, you know, and maybe not just for COVID, uh, over time, for, for other diseases as well. Are we all, uh, uh, each individual nation's going to start cocooning themselves and maybe having travel corridors uh, between places, uh, developed nations that are well vaccinated, but we're just going to cut ourselves off from the rest of the world. Yeah.
1: And they were the only country that's going to come out of that in any powerful, successful is going to be China hmm. because they've done successful eradication and they've got their own uh, virus uh, vaccine manufacturing capability, and they'll do very nicely. Russia as well, actually, by the looks of what they're doing with their their vaccine, uh, and also their success, mm. relative success compared to the UK uh, in con- in restraining the virus now. So yeah,
0: they are.
1: Um, uh, but that is not that, you, that is not
0: good for the global economy if we start stopping travel. Well, I, this, I,
1: this, I think this this is the end of globalization. Mm. Okay, this is the end of it. I think the beginning of the end of globalisation.
0: You do sound like a strict headmaster sometimes, you know. This is the uh, end of it now. I'm not at all. My personality is completely This is the end of, <laughs> completely... of, of globalisation. Uh, now stop it. Uh, but do you think so? <laughs> <you> Nibble, <laughs> leave us alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but do you think so? I mean, it, uh, because of our own selfishness that we actually can't see that eradication is the answer and we actually do need to take some sort of economic hit in the short term, to to go for this global eradication, or do or do we be, yeah, or do we believe that global eradication is too big a call? It's just too impossible to achieve. Is that perhaps in the back Well, that, of That's the way?
1: usual cost benefit analysis that economists fall for. Which we if we make you, 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 the whole idea of cost benefit analysis implies you can actually measure them accurately in the first place, which um, mm. is always dubious. And and that there's no evolutionary process going on. And this is you know, I'm sorry, this is a virus. It evolves. So doing a thing which, which does minimization, not eradication is just giving it an opportunity, indeed a pressure to evolve to become a problem again in the future. Sometimes you don't, you don't, you, you don't sort of say, let's imagine what had been done in the second world war. If that were the case, how much do we need to fight the Germans to stop them actually affecting us all that badly <laughs> versus how much do we need to defeat the Germans? And in, in this situation, chuck cost benefit analysis in the garbage bin and eliminate the damn thing. Mm.
0: Yeah, well, they won, but not by much. So we'll only speak uh, German part of the time. Seventy percent, the thirty-three percent of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. one-third right. German, and uh, but we, we, and I'm not we're never going to finish a plate of sauerkraut either. You Just you forget that idea. So. Uh, I I wonder then. You you say a cost benefit analysis is is never going to work for this, but maybe it would because the you know if you if you're sensible with the cost benefit analysis, you look at the various scenarios and you take a worst case and a best case scenario and. And uh, I, I guess your point is that you then choose one in the middle, whereas in fact what we should be doing is looking at the worst case scenario. But that would be fairly easy to do a cost benefit analysis for, wouldn't it? Because you just no, take- there's
1: more scenario analysis you need to do, and the cost benefit literally things you can convert everything into dollars, and you if it comes out plus one you do it, if it comes out minus one you don't. Yeah.
0: Um, well, that's, but, then, yeah, but manage- you could do that because in, in in this scenario, the worst case scenario would be that there would be a, a severe downturn in the global economy because there wouldn't be globalisation that the, we we would we, we would have uh, less trade globally as a result, and uh, and that is going to go on for generation after generation versus short term impact in, in investment in vaccines. I mean, it would be a fairly clear case to make, wouldn't it? Well, i but, you know, uh, but I'm um, not the way economists do cost benefit analysis. No, well, let's not get the so, economists do it then.
1: <laughs> let's that's see. a great idea.
0: I, 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 I am just finding it incredulous that we find ourselves in this situation where the World Health, Health Organization is is there trying to procure the vaccine with no way of paying for it. It's actually do going you know,
1: and begging, you, begging on street corners effectively it, it to is. get the money needed. Yeah. yeah when, when, the, when the whole idea of the World Health Organization was to, was, to, was to improve the health of the world and to coordinate global responses to global challenges, here it is in a situation that's got to go with the begging bowl to get you know, pretty much 90% of the money it needs to, to do its job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The United States wasn't even a signatory to this until Biden came into power, actually. In fact, uh, mm. Donald Trump specifically said that they shouldn't uh, be part of this coordinated effort because, uh, yeah, because it was obviously uh, the attitude of the world has become very much uh, all to do with your uh, your own sovereignty. And it's the, it, that, that's the problem, isn't it? This has come at precisely the wrong time. Just as the world mm. was becoming much more insular, uh, this has come to say, hey, this is what sovereignty can do for you.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only sovereignty that works here is, is total isolation. And the countries that have done that successfully, you know, Australia being one of them, New Zealand, Taiwan, Thailand, they can be relaxed about this. But, um, you know, where it's too big a country to, to to be able to manage that, so India is the, class, is the classic of their eyes. Even though they've been successful there, uh, they'll never be able to eradicate, I think. Uh, all the ones that have bungled it completely,
0: uh, they're the ones who are paying. Yeah. But you know what? I mean... There will be a lot of people who are saying, "Well, look, so long as we're vaccinated, that's fine." Because, uh, as you've said yourself, places like India seem to have been containing it fairly well. So containment might be all we need, uh, but it doesn't stop it, does it?
1: No, but in particular, when it's this, and the, the whole thing. Whenever I read people about you know doing this cost-benefit stuff on you know living with the virus, blah blah blah, they're living at how fast it grows, uh, how contagious it is. Um, you know, it can double every two or three days. And what that means is if that happens at any point in, in time, then within two or three weeks, your health system is overwhelmed. And you start, your health workers then die. Um, uh, you know, not, not everyone, you know, it's, it's not, not a, the proportion would die if we're talking about Ebola levels of, of, uh, mortality, morbid, morbidity, morbidity here. But you still lose a large part of the infrastructure you need and you're damaged for the future. And that's, that's the, the, the thing we haven't got ourselves around. So we really, you know, the governments of the world should have no question but to give the World Health Organization all the money it's asking for to
0: enable the whole planet to get vaccinated. Mm. Which probably is not going to happen. So the only hope we've got is that this thing mutates itself to such an extent that it actually becomes less uh, infectious and less harmful. Or it could become just as infectious, but less harmful. Uh, And and we we live with it in that way. But that's a big risk, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Maybe we should talk to some of the people in our um, our Patreon cycle who are working in... um, biomedical research and they
0: can talk about what the odds are of that over time yeah well talk to experts jesus yeah this this what a radical thought. <laughs> i know there's a whole new direction for this podcast apart from your good self of course mm. steve all right well we'll leave it there for now um and uh, yes because we are getting into an area that we know nothing about uh but uh, yes another um uh, another podcast finishing with a rather glim uh, g- g- grim outlook unfortunately We've got to turn right. it around sometime. We've got to do it. When are the happy times going to return, let's, Steve?
1: that's We're singing on the bright side of life at the end of
0: one of the podcasts. <laughs> yeah, as we uh, nail you to a crucifix, uh, perhaps. Always
1: uh, look on uh, the bright side of life. Definitely
0: nailing you to a crucifix now. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, well, look, by the way, just after we finish recording that, uh, he said this. Yeah, my voice is improving, I think, as I get older, by the way, weirdly enough. Anyway. <laughs> what do you reckon? Anyway, that's it for today. Back with another one next week. I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for Always listening. Always look
1: on the bright side of life. Yeah, that'll Always do. Get off. Always look on the bright side of life. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend.